Hello friends, Kurt here. You know, I have not released an episode of Weathering Coronavirus Updates and Hope for a long time. I made the promise that I wouldn't waste everybody's time trying to create content that was not useful. That I would only create episodes if there was something worthwhile to say and perhaps worthwhile to be heard. If you've listened to the previous episodes, you know that I've been trying to provide a statistical and realistic interpretation of the events surrounding coronavirus and that I've been trying to provide hope so that we can weather this really strange time together. But here we are. It's toward the end of April. It's been over a year now since the lockdowns began in the United States anyway. Coronavirus has been here for a while, and as you all know, we're starting to see some hope of maybe a a closing of this episode in history. Now, you may hear the airplane flying over, and I should mention I'm recording this outside today for a variety of reasons, but that means I don't have my usual studio microphone and you'll probably hear some outside noises. I hope you'll bear with me. I would at least acknowledge right now that it seems that there's a lessening of the storm. I hate to insinuate that this might be the eye of the hurricane. I, I still am hopeful that soon this can be behind us. And since the society has been focused on the results of the testing, and it's a good thing that they were, they're trying to manage a crisis, but that's all the information we have. I would love to assert, strongly and loudly, but no one will listen, that if we want to know the extent of the societal immunity, we have to be looking at antibodies and even the programming of the T-cells themselves. But we have to be looking at antibodies instead of looking for positive cases We need to be looking for immunity that has been established. I have been sending that message to public health officials, trying to popularize the idea. No one's listening. No one's going to do that because that would establish true immunity. But my main assertion is this. Even the quote-unquote vaccines, the duration of the immunity created by those is unknown. And if we want to know how much immunity there really is in the population and the duration of that immunity then we have to have randomized, voluntary, but randomized um, sampling to look for the antibodies. Because when the antibodies fade, that means your immunity has decreased to some degree. That way we can tell how long the immunity will last from the vaccines. We can tell how long the immunity will last from having had the infection, the natural immunity. And then we can actually know for certain what the immunity levels are in society and when it's safe and appropriate to resume normal social activity. I think that really, really matters. Locally, there was a statistic that went out. A large donation had been given to a community organization that was providing all sorts of support and relief for people in need in the community. And they were really excited because this donation was going to help fund an increase in the ability of the local medical services to handle mental health and substance abuse emergencies. People going to emergency rooms because of extreme mental health and substance abuse problems. The local increase, and this is colloquial in a sense, it's just one report, but the local increase in substance abuse and mental health issues over this COVID-19 crisis has been 500%. 500%. I don't know which is a greater evil, if the the virus itself was a greater evil or the impacts that were caused, perhaps inadvertently, by the loss of socialization, by people being isolated, and by people hiding from each other behind masks. 
And there are episodes on that. If you want to know the details, you can look up the statistical scientific details on that. So what am I trying to say? What I'm saying is that inadvertently, in our battle to beat COVID, we have also created other issues. Which is the lesser of the evils? We'll never know. There's no way that we'll ever be able to tell. But one thing's for sure, that this has been very trying on a lot of people. And I'd like to offer the hope that things are getting better and that we've learned so much more and we understand how to treat COVID-19. We now have quote unquote vaccines that can protect those that are at risk and we are headed in a positive direction. Why am I telling you what you already know? What I really wanted to point out today is that I've been amazed how COVID-19 created so much division. I remember as a young man, I was studying the Civil War. And one thing that was said of the Civil War is how brother fought against brother. And it was because people took sides on an issue, a very complex and challenging and difficult issue. And it wasn't just slavery. That was only one element. It was also the challenge to the whole economic foundations of the South versus the increasingly industrializing North. It was also, are we going to be a free country or are we going to have a pseudo-feudal system, an oligarchy, and allow that to be the direction that the country goes? These were the issues that together created so much, so much anxiety and frustration that a civil war resulted. And brothers fought against brothers. Friends fought against friends. Relatives fought against relatives. And obviously, political ideologies clashed. And it was one of the most deadly wars in the history of the United States. And the reason, in part, is because we had casualties on both sides. That was the Civil War. And I've been blown away by how segregated our society has become. Because different people feel different ways about how this crisis has been handled. Or even about the severity of this crisis. And I'm not here to argue that it's not severe. It is. I'm not here to argue, you know, one side or the other about how the crisis was managed. I would like to believe that the public health officials around the globe did the best they could. I would like to believe that. I don't know if that's true, but it is what it is at this point. That's just water under the bridge. But now we have relationships that have been severed or nearly severed. We have people that have been isolated. We have mental health and substance abuse increases around the globe that need to be dealt with. It is the crisis following the crisis. When a huge hurricane comes into an area and disrupts the way that people function as a society, that's the first blow, and that's COVID-19. Then, when the people need fresh water and food and medical supplies and encouragement, and they begin to rebuild and they begin to heal from the damage of the hurricane, that's the second challenge. How many people die from hurricanes in years past because of dirty water or because of a lack of proper nutrition? The weak die because they don't have the support they needed to sustain life. We are there right now coming out the end of this coronavirus crisis. And it is time for us to realize we have to rebuild. Now is the time to begin healing relationships 
now is the time to begin battling against substance abuse issues and battling against mental health issues that have been exacerbated by this whole COVID-19 crisis. We need to be so intentional and so aware. And it's not a matter of just throwing money at a problem. It's going to be a matter of us taking the necessary steps to heal, to heal relationships, to encourage people who have bottomed out emotionally, psychologically. People are going to have to start taking action, investing of ourselves, not just throwing money at a problem or expecting the government to do so. We need to be neighbors. We need to come alongside people and help. It's time to roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty. You know, I never expected to see times in the United States quite like the times that we've had in the last several months. And I would like to read from a book. The book is called Strength to Love, and it was written by Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. King gave a lot of sermons, and they were written down and compiled into this book. And I'm just going to be really, really candid with you. When we think of Martin Luther King Jr. Day, when our nation celebrates the amazing work that King did, when we celebrate a man who gave his life for the betterment of others, a man who was daring enough to stand up and say what needed to be said at a time when no one wanted to hear it. When we celebrate this man, it is appropriate and it's a beautiful thing. And I'm really glad that our nation does that. He fought against segregation and obviously was the foremost leader in the civil rights movement in his day. It was critically necessary that he do that, and he was correct. But I want to say one thing. Whenever he's mentioned in the history books, or by the media, or taught in schools, they try to sanitize him. Why? Because Martin Luther King, above all else, was a minister. He was a Christian minister. And what he taught was straight from the Bible. And what he taught was straight from grace and love and the teachings of Jesus. That's what empowered his mission, and that's what made him so effective. But now we sanitize that. Well, regardless, here's a passage from one of Dr. King's sermons that we need to pay attention to today. Why should we love our enemies? Why should we love our enemies? I'm going to pause right there for a moment. Jesus said that we are to love our enemies, not hate them, but love them. Take a moment and think, who is my political enemy? Who's my ideological enemy? Who is a physical enemy, right? Who's an enemy that's in the way of my personal progress or the progress of our society? It's so easy right now to see what the enemies are because the battle lines have been drawn. The polarization of America is astounding in its magnitude. And it's wrong. I'll just say it straight out. It's wrong. We're going to have to overcome this as a nation or it will be our demise. Why should we love our enemies? The first reason is fairly obvious. Returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Let me repeat that. Returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. The polarization of America must end. And it's not by pointing fingers or trying to foster more support for your particular ideology. You might be right about some things, and I guarantee it you're wrong about a lot of them. And on the other side of the fence, whoever you think your enemy is, they're in the same place. 
they're right about some things and I guarantee it, they're wrong about a lot of them. You know, Dr. Jordan Peterson said the other day, and this is not an exact quote, but he more or less said, it doesn't matter what your teaching is, what your ideology is, what your understanding is, what your knowledge is, what you assume to be true, you're wrong. What's so funny about that statement, if we kind of get a little bit meta, <laughs> he was right. <laughs> he just said, whatever claim you make is wrong, but the claim he was making was right in the sense that every claim is wrong. <laughs> we have to understand that. We have limited knowledge. We are not omniscient. We're only doing the best we can. And sometimes we're stumbling through the dark. Sometimes we're stumbling through the fog. Sometimes we're being swept along by the raging currents of the flood or of the hurricane, but we're doing the best we can. No one is omniscient. And when we make strong, adamant, emotionally charged claims based on an ideology that we cannot defend, then what are we doing besides adding hate to hate? One last time. Returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Hate multiplies hate, violence multiplies violence, and toughness multiplies toughness, and the descending spiral of destruction. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, he is setting forth a profound and ultimately inescapable admonition. Have we not come to such an impasse in the modern world that we must love our enemies or else? The chain reaction of evil, hate begetting hate, wars producing more wars, must be broken, or we shall be plunged into the dark abyss of annihilation. So Martin Luther King Jr. here was speaking about loving your enemies and letting love begin to heal the wounds. He was talking about reaching out to others instead of adding hate to hate. And I love what he said right here. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. This applies to so many things right now. The political left versus the political right. The liberals versus the conservatives. The pro-Trumpers versus the anti-Trumpers. The pro-Bidens versus the anti-Bidens. The pro-Black Lives Matter. Of course, every person matters, irregardless of their race, irregardless of their ideologies, irregardless of their personal triumph or struggle in this life. People matter because they're human. They are vessels with the potential of love and the spark of the divine. And it doesn't matter where they come from, what they believe. It doesn't matter their socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter how good or how bad you might think someone is. We've all been given the spark of the divine that should be nurtured and fanned into a flame. And that divinity is love. And love is what heals. And love is what brings nations back together. Love is what allows nations to work together for the, the furtherance of humanity on the whole planet. And you know what? Love doesn't mean you're passive. Love doesn't mean that you lay down and allow people to trample on you. Love means that you stand up for things that come from love. The political challenges that we see globally right now, as a younger man, I used to say, I would love to solve some of these big problems. Like, what do we do about illegal immigration in the United States? Or in France, for that matter. These problems are global. How do we manage that? 
Is it a matter of the haves telling the have-nots to stay out? Ooh. Or is it a matter of the law? It's illegal for them to come in without proper approvals. Or is it a matter of desperation? I have no opportunity here. The only thing I can do, it may be against a few laws, but the only thing I can do is travel to a place of hope. So as I started thinking, how do we solve some of the bigger problems? Do we build a wall? Do we increase border patrol? Do we invite everyone just to come in? Come on in. Bring me your tired. Bring me your weak. What do we do? As I began to look at these sorts of challenges and challenges that I see around the globe, I suddenly one day had an epiphany and it blew my mind. I realized that instead of trying to reason it all out, because any solution you come up with is partially helpful and partially hurtful. And there are going to be two sides. And people will draw battle lines and clash with each other and pile hate upon hate if we try to do that. But my epiphany was there are love-based solutions. Ideas that are grown in the soil, the <laughs> nutritious, nurturing soil of love care for one another. And love can be tough, love. It's not easy. Matter of fact, there was a man once that walked this earth that dared to love unconditionally. He taught love and he exampled love and we killed him for it. The path of love is not an easy path. It is not Pollyanna. It is not lackadaisical. It is not weak. It is powerful. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know what meek means there? People often misunderstand that. I'm glad that people are beginning to understand. Meekness is power under restraint. What does that mean? That means I have a sword, but it's in my sheath. I don't have to pull out my sword to prove anything. I have the power. It's there. I can use it. I can wield it. But I'm choosing in, instead of a path of hate on hate, a path of healing on healing. That's how you inherit the earth. And that's what's required today. That's what we need in our communities. That's what we need in our families. That's what we need in our nation. That's what we need in our politics. It's not some Pollyanna thing. And yes, it sounds like striving for an impossible utopia. But guess what? If we don't start moving in that direction, we're headed to a possible hell on earth. You can see it around us every day. So do you want to be striving for heaven or tumbling into your own created hell? It's your choice. It's my choice. It's everyone's choice. The path toward solutions is love. What does love say? What does love say to the illegal immigrant? What about the love of the parents who are giving their children to the United States, to the system of the United States? knowing that these kids will be parentless, knowing that these kids will have to strike out on their own as orphans without the support. But these parents feel like that their situation is so bad that they cannot provide the opportunity or even the sustenance necessary for these kids to have a half-decent chance at life. So parents are shipping their children over the border from Latin American countries into the United States. Not because they don't care about their kids, but as a sacrifice of love. They want their children to have a chance. I'm not saying whether that's a good action to take or not. I'm not applauding that. 
I actually think that there's something wrong there when people feel that they have to sacrifice their children for their children to have the opportunity to live a somewhat normal life. But doesn't that change the perspective a little bit when you think about it's not just illegal immigration. It's people with problems and needs and hopes and fears and dreams. How do we solve this problem at the border? There is a love-based solution that works. And that doesn't mean that you just let everybody come in. Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's axiomatic. One depends upon the other. What if you hate yourself? Can you love your neighbor? I don't care if you're a Christian or not. I don't care if you believe that Jesus was just a dude that walked around and made a ruckus in ancient Rome. I, I don't care if you believe that Jesus was a made-up character by some amazing author. When I say I don't care, of course I do. But what I'm saying is this. The teachings that can be found in the sermons of Jesus are axiomatic and profound. And we would all do well to begin to weigh them and wrestle with them and consider their validity and how they can apply to helping our current situation. So he said, love your neighbors as yourself. You have to love yourself first. If you don't, you can't love your neighbor. Interesting, huh? But it's kind of in loving our neighbor that we might learn how to love ourselves. Why does this matter so much? You know, something else that people talk about is if there's a shipwreck and there are people in the water and you happen to be in a lifeboat, but the lifeboat itself is sinking, then should you rescue people out of the water into your sinking lifeboat? Or should you first try to repair the boat so that it can hold people? And then once the boat is repaired and you start bringing people onto the boat and saving those that you can, should you overload to the boat to the point that it sinks? Should you do more than you can do? Because then you all perish again. It's just logical. You have to take care of your own boat so that you can help others. So you have to love your neighbor as yourself. You have to love yourself so you can help your neighbor. Take care of yourself. Love yourself. Have grace and mercy and compassion. And you know, Jesus said to love your enemies. How many of us are our own worst enemy? Do we need to have a little bit of love and grace and compassion toward ourselves first? I would say we do. This has been one of the hardest years of my life, and I imagine many people would say the same. And I was most disturbed this year by how people would sever relationships over ideologies. What was so disturbing about the coronavirus epidemic is that we were given so little information, and at first very little information was known. So speculation ruled the day on the part of politicians, on the part of the media, on the part of our own personal interpretations. And I talked about the five personality types and how each type might manage a situation like this differently and how we should have compassion and understanding toward each other. That was almost a year ago that I published that episode. But instead, we just started calling each other wrong. And I'm guilty of it too, aren't we all? When someone takes a stand on something, they, they just feel very strongly and there's not enough evidence to support either side adequately. And people don't even want to do the research. They don't even want to read the evidence. They don't want to find out what's really going on. Instead, they just choose something and they claim the moral high ground. And then anyone that disagrees with them is evil. And both sides feel that way. <laughs> Your moral high ground and my moral high ground have clashed. And now you think I'm despicable, and I think the same of you. How does that work? 
How do we solve problems that way? Adding hate to hate. Of course, we're going to have a variety of interpretations. We're different people with different fundamental motivations that are in our character, foundational to who we are. We are all going to respond in very difficult and testing times like these with the resources that we have on hand. And those resources are our personalities and our fundamental methods of responding, responding to what the world throws at us. And of course, that's going to create clashes because we're different people. But you know what? Step back from that for a minute. Consider for just a moment that everybody has an element of correctness. And while it's easy to point at someone else's ideas and say, that can't be right because I've studied this and I know that. My gut tells me, my emotions, my heart. We still need to look at them and say, what do you have right that I've missed? What have you figured out from your perspective that I've missed? And if we could separate the wheat from the chaff, if we could take the correct understandings as best as we can ascertain them, and if we could put them together and use love as the filter, love-based decisions. Love is a seed that grows until we have a bountiful harvest. If we could go in love and find what works and start moving forward not being not being people that are promoting some adamant dogma but rather being open-minded people who are saying this is what we understand thus far this is a great direction to go together we can begin to heal our land heal the planet heal the world heal the families heal the mental illness heal the substance abuse we've all been touched by coronavirus And as epidemics go in in human history, this has been a tiny one, people. A tiny one. Significant? Yes. But we need to get over our egocentrism and realize that we are more resilient than this. And it is time for us to begin to rebuild. But if we've learned anything from 2020, the year of vision, (laughs) as if we could see, we should learn how blind we have been And we should learn that drawing lines in the sand and claiming ideologies and battling one another and trying to use violence and hate to get to what we think is a good goal. If we've learned nothing else, we should learn that that does not work. That is the road to hell. Hell on earth that we create ourselves. What works are love-based solutions. And they won't be perfect. And we won't always have it right. But we can at least begin to move in a direction of loving our enemies. We can move in a direction of making decisions, political, economic, societal, regulatory, legal decisions that are founded in that deep, rich soil of love. And unless we do that as a society, we're just going to suffer more and more. I don't know how many people are going to hear this podcast. Clearly, it was not popular with the search engines. The only way that people can hear this is if people that agree with it pass it on. There aren't that many of you that know about weathering coronavirus. And those of you who know have probably quit looking for new episodes because I haven't put one out in forever. But I felt like today there was something that had to be said. Forgive me if you feel that I've been too overtly religious. Forgive me if my ideology somehow rubbed up against yours. We have to love our enemies. 
and forgiveness is the first step. But if there's something in this that you think has a little bit of value, then I dare you, I dare you to dare to share some of these ideas with other people. Whether you share this episode with them or not, it it doesn't matter. What matters is that we fan the spark of love into a flame that can consume and purify our fallen crap world we're in right now. There's a lot of hope, and we can cling to that hope, but that hope is not going to be satisfactory. It's not going to be sufficient if all we do is sit in our cloistered homes and hope. No, no, no. Love is a verb. (laughs) It requires an action. We can't hide behind our ideologies. We can't hide behind our safe little walls of our houses. We can't hide behind our masks. We can't hide behind public health orders or what the doctors say to do. The time for hiding is over. The time for healing has come. And healing requires effort and action and hard work. So let's do it. If you made it this far in this episode, then thank you for putting up with uh, the frustrated rantings of a guy who wants to bring a little bit of light to the world. And you know, I don't consider myself to be 100% correct at all. But there's one thing I do believe I have right. And that is, love is the guide. And love shines the light onto the path that we need to travel. With that, thanks for listening to this episode of Weathering Coronavirus Updates and Hope. I do hope that you will have a fantastic day and week and fantastic coming weeks and months and years and that as global citizens, we can all begin to thrive now. We can understand that love and forgiveness and understanding, those things are the path forward. They're not weak. They take more strength than hate. They take more strength than violence. They take more restraint and wisdom. With that, thank you for listening and have a good day.